You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Set any religious spirits by doing this this part of the service but I just feel a preach right now that song we opened with um, I kind of was told we were opening with it but I don't always pay a lot of attention to the songs and I didn't so much this week and just the words of that song flow very much with what I want to share with you this morning and so when I finish preaching, don't get up and go. Oh, hospitality team, don't go and get the tea and coffee ready. The service will only be half over. We've got other things we want to do in the latter part of the service. So don't feel you've got to just get up and go. I want you to come with me in your Bible this morning to Mark chapter 9. Mark's Gospel in the ninth chapter. I want to read to you just uh, seven verses from this passage and then share some things with you that I, I, I believe I've got a word from God today. I believe the Lord's spoken to me. And if you get a revelation of what I am about to share with you, it'll change the way you do your walk with Jesus. Mark chapter 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. How many have ever done that before? (laughs) Let's make three tabernacles. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. You know, kind of like uh, one for you, one for him, one for him. And yeah, that, that would be good. It's interesting. The Bible tells us that he did, he did that because he didn't know what else to say. He was uncomfortable. He was awkward. But then when he finished saying that, a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. The Spirit of God is here this morning. You don't have to look very far across church life, not just in the Western world, but right across the globe. You don't have to look very far to see that there is more of a culture of performance than there is a culture of surrender and acceptance. Even though the former, the the culture of performance is so foreign to the gospel message, we still have more of that than we do a culture of surrender and acceptance for what Jesus has done which is the very core of the gospel message so the very thing that's foreign to the gospel message performance is the thing we focus on 
And the very thing that is central to the gospel message is the very thing we fail to see, surrender and acceptance. You know, performance is concerned more with things like having to deliver, striving, comparison, achievement. Having to deliver. What, what do I have to do to be a good Christian? What, what do I have to do to be a good Christian? And, and when I fail to do that, I'm, I'm condemned and I'm unacceptable to God. But when I can measure up to those things that if I do them, that'll make me a good Christian, then, then God will be happy. Deep down in the core of our, our belief system, there is a, a true belief that that is how God sees us. Performance is more to do with striving, feeling like things are never quite good enough in my life. And the, and the very answers to my challenges, the answers to my problems, the answers to my mountains, the answers to my valleys, the answers to get through the next day always feel like they're just out of reach. A little bit like the, the carrot on the stick that you're just never going to get. It's always just there. You can see it, but you just can't get a hold of it. You just can't embrace it. Performance is more about that whole thing of having to deliver, having to be a good Christian, having to measure up. And it's about striving with everything that we do, just not feeling quite good enough. Performance is concerned with comparison, comparing our goodness with how well those around us are doing. If we find ourselves running with people who are worse sinners than we are, then we feel okay about ourselves. We're not so condemned. But if we find ourselves amongst the holy ones, the ones who really seem to have it together, the ones who seem to be able to just do the right thing every day, every time they face a decision, they make the right decision. Every time they're faced with a challenge, they seem to overcome it. When we're surrounded with people like that, we compare ourselves with them and we start to feel like we don't measure up and our goodness is not acceptable to God. Performance is concerned with achievement that God rewards and God punishes according to the measure of my conduct and my faithfulness. That, that is a belief that is rife in the church today. But that is so foreign to the gospel message, which is a message of surrender and acceptance or probably acceptance and then surrender. Because when you accept, you then surrender to what you've accepted. And, and, and acceptance is more concerned with God's love. It's more concerned with being chosen by Him. It's more concerned with living with peace and rest. It's, it's living with a revelation that, that God is good all the time. Not just head knowledge, but it's living with a revelation, not just knowing the theology of it. Because for years, I, I could preach great sermons on, on the love of God and how God loves us unconditionally. But in the core of my being, I didn't believe it. It was head knowledge. I kind of knew that it was true, but I didn't believe it was true. I had somebody say to me not that long ago, the song we've been singing, he's a good, good father. They said, I believe he's a good father. He's just not a good father to me. Because there was a head knowledge. There wasn't a revelation that God loves us. God accepts us. God gave his all for us. You know, many, many times in my journey of ministry, I've been caught up in the performance culture. I've been driven by, by the, the power of public opinion. 
As a leader, you face criticism. You face people that don't like some of the decisions that you make. You make them faithfully before God. And ultimately, I will give account to God for the decisions that I've made. You you know, I understand that and I appreciate that. But what happens is people have their opinions and they start to criticize. How did you make that decision? Why did you make that decision? And all of a sudden, the devil gets in your ear and says, everybody's thinking that about you. And so you have to try and perform and keep everybody happy. But, but it's an impossible task. We have to come to the place of the acceptance culture where we, we live in the, the reality of God's love, where we have a revelation of His goodness, His kindness, His patience, His mercy, His compassion that is solid towards me every single day of my life, every moment of every day. His love, His compassion, His kindness, His goodness is towards me every moment of every day that I am chosen by Him, that He chose to save me. He chose to adopt me. You know, adoption has a stigma, but it shouldn't. Because when you're adopted, you've been chosen. When you're born into a family, they're stuck with you. But when you are adopted, it's like Jesus looked at us in our mess, in our sin, in our frailty, in our weakness and said, I love them and I want them. And I'm going to come and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them and embrace them and adopt them into my family and give them my unconditional love and acceptance. That's the core of the gospel. But the reason we have a culture of performance rather than a culture of acceptance is because far too many of us believe that God is focused on what is wrong in our life. But God is not focused on what is wrong in our life. He's focused on what is missing from your life. He's focused on what the devil stole from your life. He's focused on getting back all the years that the enemy has stolen and plundered and ripped off from your life. But we go through life believing that if we do good, God's face will shine upon us. But when we fail, His disdain quickly comes upon us. We should never focus on what is wrong in our life. Why? Because the gospel message is that God has fully, fully, fully dealt with what was wrong in our life. What was wrong in our life? It was sin. You say, well, I still have so much of that. So I still have to fix that. No, God fixed that. All you have to do is receive that He's fixed it and let Him walk you through a process of getting you out of the stuff that sin has put you in. Let me very quickly take you through a series of Scriptures, only because I want you to see what the Word of God has to say. Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is His ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sin has hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Many of us live life still believing that. But that is not true anymore. That is old covenant. When when I first got saved, I would go through seasons where I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't feel the touch of God. I, I, I would mess up and I'd feel like God was unhappy with me. And I'd talk to somebody and they'd say, well, 
the Bible says that your sin has separated you from God and your iniquity has hidden his face from you. There's probably sin in your life because if you've sinned, well, the Bible's very clear that that sin will put a barrier between you and God. No, that's old covenant. It's not new covenant. New Covenant is in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 25. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, without having to perform. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. I believe He's a good Father. He's just not a good Father to me. No, it's true for everyone. He's a good father to everyone. He, 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 he is, it's true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. No matter who you are this morning, this is true for you. Everyone has sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son who purchased our freedom and will ultimately forgive our sin if we perform well enough. No, that's not what it says, is it? He has purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Colossians 2, 1, the, the, the same chapter, Colossians 1, verse 21 through 22. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts. Yes, your sin separated you from your God. His, your iniquities caused His face to turn away from you and His ears not to hear you. Yes, that was old covenant, but now it's a new covenant. And he's broken that. When you sin, God does not turn his face away from you. When you fail, when you stumble, when you fall, the Holy Spirit is there to pick you up again. He has fully dealt with sin. And we, we stumble and fall into sin and we say, now I just have to deal with that so I can come back to God. What you're saying is what Jesus did on the cross was just not good enough. You're saying to Jesus, look, I know you died on the cross. I know you suffered. I know you bled. I know you gave you all. It would have been horrible for you up there, but I can actually save myself better than you can. So when I sin, I'll fix it before I come back. That's really what we're saying. Yet now he has reconciled. Now he has, has reconciled you. Not now he will reconcile you once you start performing well enough. Because we can't perform well enough. We mess up all the time. But now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence and you are holy and blameless. Listen to this. As you stand before Him without a single fault, if you've received Jesus Christ, you are without a single fault right now. Oh, that's an oxymoron if ever I've heard one. You don't know what I did even before I got here. 
You don't know what I said to my wife in the car. You don't know what I said to my husband in the car. You don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know the thoughts I've had. You don't know the people I've hurt. Look, I really want to do this Christian thing. And if, if I could just do the things that would make me a good Christian, I would be a good Christian and God would bless me and God would favor me. But so you've got it all wrong. It's a performance culture and it's foreign to the gospel message. The gospel culture is an acceptance culture. It's a surrender to what He has done on the cross for us. He is no longer focused on what is wrong in your life. He's focused on what sin has stolen from your life. I've said this before. God is never disappointed in you. Oh, no, I find that hard to believe. I do so many wrong things. I mess up so much. God must be. God is never disappointed in you. He is only ever disappointed for you. Because we, failing to cooperate with Him, slow down the process of retrieving everything that sin stole from our life. But when we cooperate with Him, we speed up the process of everything being retrieved and per- that He purchased with His blood on the cross. All we have to do is surrender. All we have to do is, I can't do this, I surrender. I give up. I accept what you've done on the cross and I am now at that moment without a single fault. Watch this. He's dealt with once and for all what was wrong in your life. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Old covenant, what was wrong in their life. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering his own blood, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's a contradiction in terms to me. I am perfect, but I am being made perfect at the same time. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel is he looks down on you and sees Jesus. He sees perfection. He sees his son, his daughter that's been redeemed, that's been saved, that he would lay down his life, that I could have life. And he looks at me and he sees perfection. But then he sees what sin has done in my life. He sees what sin has done to my life. He sees what sin has done to my soul, my mind, my emotions. He sees the damage that's been caused. And then he says, you are now without a single fault, but now I'm going to start cleaning you up. Just accept, I I love you. I've accepted you. You can't do anything to be right with me. I've done everything to close the, the, the gap, to open, to bridge the gap, to open a way for you to come boldly to the throne of grace, boldly to the throne of grace, because you are totally perfect. And now if you just accept and surrender and cooperate. So we go out tomorrow and we fail to cooperate. And then we go, I've got to perform to get back into his good books. No, you've never left his good books. You just slowed the process down of putting back together what sin ripped off. Is this helping somebody? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 10, 17, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Yet driven by a spirit of deception 
And that's what it is. It's a, it's a spirit. It's a demonic entity. It's a principality, a power, an evil ruler in the heavenly places that comes to fight against us, to block, to stunt, to hinder the progress of God perfecting us and sanctifying us as we cooperate with him. That spirit tries to get us not to cooperate. He knows that by not cooperating, it won't take us out of God's favor. He just knows it'll slow down the process of getting back everything sin stole. And that's why God is never disappointed in you. He's only ever disappointed for you. Because you, you failed to cooperate. But at the end of the day, here's what happens to me. You know, when we went through the rapids, I had some filthy attitudes. Believe me. If, if thoughts could kill, a lot of people would be dead today. And I'd come to the end of my day and I'd sit down and I'd go, I didn't do so well today, Lord, did I? And it's like the Lord would sit down next to me and he'd go, no, you didn't. But tomorrow's another day. And if you just stay surrendered and stay cooperating, we'll get through this. We'll fix this. We'll, we'll make those adjustments inside of you. But if you keep having days like today, son, you're going to slow the process down. I still love you. I still accept you. You're still perfect in my eyes. While ever your faith remains in Jesus, while ever you, you trust that his finished work on the cross was enough, then, then you're still going to be in my favor and in my good books. But the reality is you'll slow the process down. And not only that, you'll start sowing seeds in your life that'll bring about a harvest that will even hinder the process even more. You know, if you, you're into gardens and the weeds take over, the weeds often choke out the good. Sometimes we let weeds grow in our life. The good is still there. God is still there. We are driven by a spirit of deception and we can continue to focus on trying to diminish what is wrong in our life by endeavoring to perform better. And here's the thing. Our mind is focused on something that is not even in the mind of God. I want to show you something. You get a revelation of this. It'll change you. God's journal records our life from the perspective of His forgiveness and our acceptance of that forgiveness. God's journal records our life, our attitudes, our actions, our behavior, our conduct. God's journal records our life from the perspective of His forgiveness and our acceptance of that forgiveness. Once we surrender to Jesus, allowing Him to work in us, that's what surrender is. Once we surrender to Jesus, His book of remembrance, Arden preached on books a few weeks ago. One of them is the book of remembrance. There is a book of remembrance scares a lot of us but it shouldn't once we surrender to Jesus and we submit to him working in our life his book of remembrance no longer contains our history of stupidity here's what I want you to see watch this very very carefully Genesis chapter 18 three angels visit Abraham Maybe it was the Trinity turned up. It was God, because the passage says it's God. 
but there were three angelic beings, three men who came. And they said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he, the Lord God, said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, This is fascinating. She laughed within herself. She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed within herself. And the moment she did that, the Lord, who was sitting with Abraham outside by by the campfire, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? He heard a laugh that nobody else did. Why, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And then God said, No, but you did laugh. Talk about a heavy conversation. Why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. You did laugh. God sees everything. God knows everything. Don't try and lie to God. And so the Hebrew word for laugh here, you've got to understand this. This was serious. It wasn't just a light-hearted chuckle. Oh, yeah, right. As if. The Hebrew word for laugh in that passage actually means to mock. She mocked God. She mocked the promise of God. She mocked the faithfulness of God. She mocked the authenticity of God. The Hebrew language there particularly chose that word because it wanted to picture exactly what Sarah's attitude was at that moment. Sarah laughed. She was cynical. She was critical. She began to mock God. Yeah, right. As if. Look at the age of my old man. Look at my body. Look at me. Yeah, right. You should have come 50 years ago, mate. You you could have done something then, but now it's way too late. I am way past. There was a mocking thing that came upon her and she began to, to vent offence into the heavenlies towards God. And God said, why did Sarah laugh? called out. Sarah denied it and said, but I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. I want you to see something. Hebrews chapter 11. God is here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, by faith, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Is this the same woman? Is this the same woman we just read about in Genesis 18? The one who mocked God? The one who said, as if you just turned up too late, pal. You should have been here 50 years ago. She mocked Him. There was scorn in her tone and her attitude. And now in the New Testament, it says she considered Him faithful who had promised. Apparently, 
she repented. How do I know that? Because of what I just read in Hebrews 11. Apparently, she repented. She turned her heart toward what God had declared to be her destiny. She turned her heart towards what God had said He had done for her and would do for her. She accepted what he did. She obviously went through a process of getting before God and saying, God, I am so sorry for my attitude. I'm so sorry for my sin of unbelief. I'm so sorry for my attitude of scornful, mocking behavior. I'm so sorry. She obviously did that and turned her heart to what God had declared. And in so doing, God rewrote her history. The book of remembrance now has Hebrews 11 in it. And the only reason that Genesis 18 puts that in there is so that dumbos like us can learn. So that we can get it. These things were written in the Old Testament for us who live today so that we won't make the same mistakes. That's what the the book of Hebrews tells us. God rewrote her history, excluding her sin of Genesis 18. It's just left there. And I I wonder whether in heaven, God came to Sarah and said, Sarah, I don't remember your sin, but look, I've just recalled something because I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I think if you can just agree with me to let me keep this in, in the book that we're going to call Genesis when it's published and sent out to the generations that will follow you, would you be okay because I, I've blotted that out because you dealt with that and that I don't remember it anymore. But would you be okay if we just told your story so that people in Generation City Church in the next millennium, that the 21st century could just see that if we will just repent and accept and surrender, that I'll rewrite their history as well. You see, the blood of Christ changes our history into His story. He is not focused on what is wrong in my life. He's focused on what is missing from my life. He's focused on restoring what sin stole from my life, from my marriage, from my home, from my soul, from my mind, from my mental health, from my body, from... Whatever arena you're struggling with, he's focused on getting it back. We're focused on wrongdoing while he's focused on personally rebuilding our life. What I'm about to say is anointed. He who has ears to hear, hear this. We have sonship, adoption, acceptance, not by struggling our way up the rungs of a ladder. But because Jesus came down the ladder. We're not accepted by struggling our way up the rungs of a ladder. We're accepted because Jesus came down the ladder and lifted us into his unending flow of unconditional love. That's the truth. That's what needs to be accepted. That's what needs to be surrendered to. Jesus thought you were significant enough 
to die for. When you accept what he did on the cross, it's all you have to do. He fully accepts you. Through the sin of one, the many became sinners. Through the act of the one, the death of Jesus on the cross, his willing submission to dying on the cross, many will be made righteous. All we have to do is accept it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. All we have to do is cooperate. You know, Luke chapter 19 verse 10. Ben, you don't have this one. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. What does it say? There is a temptation in every one of us to say those who are lost. It doesn't say that. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Which of course includes us. But it includes what we lost in the Garden of Eden. He came to seek and to save what sin stole. He's focused on what's missing and he wants it back for you. And the more you cooperate, the more you surrender, the quicker it'll happen. The more you kick and scream, the more you try to perform, the more he stands back and says, I'm not even interested in your performance. You, you knock yourself out. I'm not even looking at it. I don't care about it. In fact, it says that our performance stinks in his nostrils. It's like filthy rags. I opened with a passage that you're probably going, what on earth has that got to do with this? You open with Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of Jesus, the appearance of Moses and Elijah, Jesus, Jesus glowing like a candlestick in the dark. How does that tie in with this? You know, why, why did Moses and Elijah appear? Jesus takes Peter, James and John up onto the mountain. And all of a sudden, they're standing there and Jesus starts to glow. He starts to emanate some kind of aura. There's, there's, his, his clothes become dazzling white. And then it tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared and they talked together. It doesn't tell us what they talked about. And I think the reason it doesn't tell us what they talked about, because what they talked about was irrelevant. The Bible only puts in what we need to hear and what we need to know. And as they're talking, these guys are just taken aback by the whole thing. As they're talking... The cloud comes and a voice out of the cloud, the voice of God, puts his finger on Jesus and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Why was it Moses and Elijah that appeared? What was the significance of that? Why not Abraham? I mean, the father of our faith, for goodness sake. You'd think Abraham would, would bring more in reinforcement to the fact that Jesus has come to save us by faith through grace. So let's bring Abraham. Let, let Abraham come and talk with Jesus. You, you know, why, why Moses and Elijah? Why, why not Joseph, the, the type of our Savior, the type that, that so beautifully presents the redemption, the amazing redemption that would come through Christ. You know, if you study the story of Joseph, he's a type of Christ. Why not Nehemiah? The beautiful picture of restoration and getting back what the devil killed, stole and destroyed. 
Why not Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple of God? Why not someone? Why Moses and Elijah? It doesn't tell us what they talked about. It doesn't even tell us why those two came. But here's why I believe it was Moses and Elijah. As he stood there, Moses and Elijah appeared and they talked together. Moses represents the law, the culture of performance. Moses represents the performance guide. Elijah represented the prophets, the stick of correction, judgment, because you're not following the law. You're not measuring up. You're not doing everything that I declared. And the the prophet would come and bring judgment and correction. Plagues would come. Sickness would come. All kinds of horrible things would happen. And then when the people of God repented, the favor of God would come back. And then when they missed the mark and didn't perform well, God would leave again and plagues would come and enemies would attack. It's old covenant. Yet we somehow believe that that's what still happens today. It doesn't happen today. Your sin has not separated you from God. Once you've received Jesus Christ, it's dealt with once and for all. Moses represents performance. Elijah represents judgment and condemnation. Jesus represents our salvation from the curse of performance. And here's what I believe God is saying in Mark chapter 9. This is my beloved son. Moses, don't listen to him anymore. Elijah, don't listen to him anymore listen to him who came to break the curse of the law and to set us free from having to perform from having to strive from having to measure up are we going to sin absolutely we're on a journey but there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus we just pick ourselves up and say God I stuffed up again Help me to do better. God, the last month I've been, I've been caught in the performance guide just like you have. I still get caught up in it. I still at times feel like when I fail, God's disdain comes and I have to fight that because the enemy gets in my head and tells me that I didn't perform well enough. But it's not the truth. It's not the truth. And that verse, verses 7 and 8 of Mark 9, you can put it up, Ben. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. They saw only Jesus. We've got to see only Jesus, who did not come to condemn, but to save That's why when the woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't look to Moses and say, stoner. He didn't look to Elijah and say, let's correct this woman's bad behavior. He just said, neither do I condemn you. They got so angry that they said, you're contradicting the law. You're contradicting the rod of correction. You're contradicting. And Jesus then very, very wisely said, he was without sin. Cast the first stone. I haven't come to condemn. I've come to save. I've come to save you from having to measure up. I've come to save you from having to strive. I've come to save you and to set you free. We did not receive sonship 
by climbing up the rungs of a ladder. We receive it because Jesus came down the ladder and lifted us into the unending flow of his unconditional love. When you listen to and you follow his voice, he leads you into the fullness of your redemption. The retrieval of all that's been stolen from you. Joy, peace, soundness of mind, solidity in your heart, calmness in your innermost being. That When I, when I mess up, I've had a revelation of this. When I mess up, I don't feel condemned anymore. I just feel like, Lord, I haven't done so well. Help me do better tomorrow. Because I am perfect. Help me to just rise out of these things that keep me below what I am. God has chosen me. He has declared me holy. He has declared me righteous. We're going to come around communion right now. Service is not over yet. It's only 25 past 10. So don't leave. Please don't leave. Haven't received the offering yet. Don't go. <laughs> We've got bills to pay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask our guys to just come and I want to do that song again. Just the one. We, we've only done one song today. I just, I want to stay on that. This is amazing grace. If we can start from the beginning of that, Joel, where it just talks about that he laid down his life. I can't remember all the words. I know it's just amazing. Just sit quietly in his presence. Let the ushers wait on you. Thank you. accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you are fully and absolutely accepted can we just stop receiving the cups for a minute this is a really critical moment if we can just hold it right there we'll pass the cups to the aisle in a second I just don't want anyone distracted you are fully and absolutely accepted Jesus died on that cross so you could live he came down that ladder to lift you into his unending flow you no longer have to perform. Sin does not separate you from God, even when you do sin. He has dealt with sin once and for all. You are right with Him 24-7. Does that mean you can't walk away from your salvation? Absolutely not. That takes a, a definite decision. I no longer want this anymore. You can trample underfoot the blood of Christ. I'm not a believer in once saved, always saved, regardless. I'm a believer in once saved, always saved, while ever our faith remains in the cross. But you can make a decision to walk away from your salvation and say, I no longer want it, turn your back on it. That's a different ballgame. But if your faith is in Christ this morning, sin is not separating you from God. It's only you and your mindset that separates you from Him. But if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, let me tell you something. Isaiah 59 is talking about you. Your sin does separate you from God. You might have even prayed prayers in your life and say, well, if there's really a God, do this for me and I'll believe. God doesn't respond to threats. He doesn't respond to bribes. He's not manipulated. 
He responds to those who receive his son for what he has done. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. It's as simple as that. But you can deal with the sin problem by simply accepting what Jesus did on the cross. And you can step in with all these other believers and bask in the acceptance of who he is. He will come down the ladder this morning and lift you into the flow of his unconditional love. If that's you today, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And you'd like to do that right now. I want you to raise your hand. I'll see it. God will see it. If everyone can just close their eyes, respect those. Thank you. That lady in the middle there. Thank you. Just someone else. You want to join this lady? So I want, I want, I want sin to be dealt with and I want God to be in my life. I want his favor to be all over me. Raise your hand high. I'll see it. I'll know to pray for you this morning. This lady has just responded, son. I want Jesus Christ as my savior. I want the barrier between God and I dealt with and I want to be accepted. I want Jesus to come down the ladder and lift me up. Is there someone else this morning? You want to join this lady? Thank you. Another young lady over there. Anyone else this morning? Never made this decision before. Maybe you're in the meeting. You have made this decision, but just something just went wrong and you didn't follow through on it. You want a fresh start. You want to come back and say, God, I I really want your favor. I really want your blessing. I really want restored in my life what the enemy has stolen. And you want a fresh start today. Why don't you raise your hand where you're standing? I'll see it and I'll know to pray for you today too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quite a number. Two people have said they want to receive Christ this morning. Those two people, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Everybody's going to pray it with you so you're not, you know, just standing out like a sore thumb. We don't want to embarrass anybody. Right now, you're just going to pray this prayer. Let's pray it together. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning to surrender my life. I confess that I'm a sinner. But Lord, today, I acknowledge that you dealt with my sin on the cross when you died. And today, I accept what you did. I invite you into my life to save me from sin. Cleanse me with the blood that Jesus shed. And I receive you as my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are perhaps looking for a fresh start, Let's pray this together. Jesus, I come back to you. Forgive me for not believing enough in what you did and thinking that I could finish the job. Today I rest in you. I thank you that I'm a son or daughter of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know our problem is not a performance problem. It's a belief problem. It's not a failure to perform. It's a failure to believe. That's the issue today. Now you can pass your cup to the aisle closest to you. Thanks, guys, for respecting that. I just didn't want any distractions during that critical moment. If you raised your hand for the first time to receive Jesus,